Let me know if you can hear birds. I left one little window open for air <laughs> so I can close it. Don't let a bat in. I won't. <laughs> We've started recording. We have. Uh, my friend had a bat in her house the other day, and that's what we're talking about. I actually have a bat-related Catholic joke that I heard from a priest one More time. More Catholic jokes, please. Okay. It's kind of long form, so I'm going to try to summarize. There are three clergy people, let's say at a bar, just chatting, a priest, a rabbi, and um, we'll say an imam. <laughs> We'll just say that. I was so I couldn't can't remember. So they all have a similar problem is that they have all had bats in their places of where they live recently. So the imam says, well, you know, we tried a, a humane trap, trapped the bat, went and let it free in the forest preserve. But it just came back the next day. And the rabbi says, you know, we tried just opening a window and, and letting the bat fly out naturally. And that worked. But eventually just it came back. And the priest says, you know what? I figured it out. We had a bat in the rectory and we got it out. And so the other two are like, how did you do it? And they're like, well, I thought about what I know about getting things to to leave and never see them again. So I caught the bat, baptized it. I gave it communion confirmation, <laughs> left the church, never saw it again. <laughs> so good, right? We're the bats, Steph. You and we're me, the we're the bats. bats. We're the bats. That's a good one. It is. A, that is like hashtag lapsed perfect humor. <laughs> it's lapsed humor right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll be official. I guess so. I'm Anne McNamee Keels. And I'm Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. And today we are talking about CCD versus Catholic school. You wrote oh, and Catholic school by putting verses Versus. Because <laughs> let's make this like the sharks and the jets. Let's you know. do it. Snap, snap. Before we get started, just a reminder to please follow us on social media, Instagram at Laps Podcast, Twitter also at Laps Podcast. We have a Facebook page. Send us your questions. We want more questions and we want more. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts. I feel like socially I've been getting responses saying like, oh, I really connected with this thing and this thing. If someone wants to record a, a voice memo and email that, those kinds of things to us, we would love to hear it. I would love to be able to share some of those voices on the podcast. Absolutely. Do we want to jump into Catholicism in the news? Catholicism in the news. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I want like an old school, like a button to press that has your your voice being like in the news because you're really good at it. Actually, this kind of works with our theme today. I'd always taken the bus to school, but when we moved to Florida and I started going to Catholic school, they didn't have buses. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the money for buses. or I don't know why we didn't have buses. So my dad had to drive me. And every Friday we would listen to this AM station that was wacky world of news. And I think that's what I'm stealing it from. I love it. AM radio. Fridays were my favorite day because it had wacky news in the morning. <laughs> I wonder what the wacky news was. Was it like people finding animals in weird places and stuff? Well, Probably. it's like everything that social media is made up of now. Like this right. giraffe and this kitten are friends and right. he, a nun did a dance. And <laughs> like it's just everything that social media is basically. It was feel good news in a way. In the olden days, that's where mm -hmm. we had to get our meme culture. AM radio. <laughs> 
Uh, but I was looking up, do you know what happened in Charlotte? No. So there, is, there was a gay teacher who announced on social media that he was marrying his husband and got fired because of that. Mm. And a judge ruled on Friday in favor of the teacher. Um, Yay. This was at a Catholic school. I'm Catholic assuming. school. So the yes. Charlotte Catholic High School. Okay. And he joined the Charlotte Catholic faculty in 2001. And he was named the school's teacher of the year in 2012. And he retired uh, after that, but he remained a substitute teacher. And he said he never really hit anything, but it was basically because he put it out there in the world and so he just wished apparently he really loved teaching and people really seemed to respond to him as a teacher and you know the diocese response was you know uh very typical the statement from the diocese said the first amendment federal law and recent supreme court decisions recognize the rights of religious organizations to make employment decisions based on religious observance and preference you know, Hobby Lobby and birth control. Mm. But they do not and should not compel religious schools to employ teachers who publicly contradict their teachings. So I have a feeling that this case is going to continue rolling around, but it was a big win because like religious organizations, I was reading a whole thing on the Supreme Court recently and it's like the one entity that can do basically whatever it wants as a religious organizations. Mm. Like they never get sort of held accountable in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, or they get all yeah. these exceptions to the rule of a, de- a democratic nation and not a church state. <laughs> right. If something is religion, that's somehow this out that they don't have to follow the rules of other other things. Right. So this is the first time I've heard of one being held accountable for that. That's great. Being like, yeah. I remember reading something about that happening at a high school of a teacher being fired for being gay, for having gay marriage or something Mm -hmm. at a high school. And all the students were like supporting the teacher. And I was like, oh, look at that. I bet you taught all those kids Catholic social justice and that, you know, they should care about the personhood of of their teachers, etc. And guess what? Now they're like holding you to that standard. Right. So, uh, you know, with uh, the J.K. Rowling, her transphobia as it comes out and I saw some tweet that was like look JK Rowling all of the people who loved your books are actually doing the thing you taught them to do which is to stand up for the inclusion of everyone mm-hmm. and I think that's the whole thing right I, th- I think there's been some memes floating around about um, like evangelical Christians deconstructing and I think it kind of applies it applies to Catholicism as well. Like young people aren't leaving the church because they don't believe in the stuff you're saying. They actually are leaving it because they believe so strongly in some of the tenets of of Christianity, of like right. radical inclusion and, you know, all of the loving your neighbor, et cetera. And when they see you not not holding up your side of the bargain as an institution, they're going to head out. Yeah, that's like, I mean, I say that I said this in arguments with my dad, I know before, and I say it out loud to myself but I'm like the reason I have a problem with the church is because I was actually listening in church and then I was like what would Jesus do he'd be really nice to everybody and super helpful is what he would do right so so which is it (laughs) Like, stop being so mean. You know, the Catholic Church does have this piece about a well-developed conscience. Like, that mm-hmm. is a piece of the doctrine is that you're supposed to develop your own conscience. And mm. I don't have that language in front of me. But, you know. Uh, Ooh, we should look that one up. I like that. 
Yeah, because there that is a piece of it that you ultimately are supposed to develop a conscience. And I mean, anyone who's being honest is going to look at all the ways this church has screwed up historically and the idea that, that a well-developed conscience ultimately is more important than what the current doctrine is. Yeah, I mean, my high school had, the students knew this. No, None of the adults talked about this, but somehow this was public knowledge, I think that we had a a sister a nun although i guess when they're not cloistered when they're teaching they're technically referred to as a sister something i've learned as an adult yeah oh uh who left the nunhood and at the time gay marriage wasn't legal but she had a domestic partnership i guess with i believe a female like guidance counselor at her school and they had a kid what yeah no adult was talking about this out loud but a lot of the students knew i think anyone in my circles were like that is so cool and they remained on staff there. They actually had a PhD, so they went from sister to doctor. Hey. Uh, she's still teaching in the area, I think. But I remember thinking, oh, that's so great that our school didn't fire them. That really was my thought. Like, wow, how progressive. What a high bar. I get, yes. It all comes back to, like, the bar is so low, right? Like, that was my <laughs> thing I was impressed with, that they were allowed to sort of very quietly maintain their relationship and not get fired. <laughs> We didn't persecute them. Good job, us. I mean, but I would have felt the same way. But like, look, they live. They're here amongst us. Right. How exciting. I mean, we also have to say this was like for me. This was like the very early two thousands. You know. Yeah. We were at a very. I mean, gay marriage wasn't even legal anywhere Ooh, in the weird. country. Yeah. So the bar was low nationally, was. not just within the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Equal opportunity, low bar. There you go. <laughs> Do you have any news? So there is a news item that sounds kind of boring on its face, but sounds like it could potentially be be very interesting. And it has to do with our buddy Pope Francis. Intriguing. So basically, the boring sounding version of it is that there's going to be a synod. I had to look up how to say that word. Oh, I always thought it was synod. (laughs) So did I. Synod? Synod. I had to have Google say it out loud for me. Synod, I believe. There's going to be a synod like in three years about future synods, basically. (laughs) Like a meeting about meetings, like a meeting about how they're going to structure things. Bureaucratic nightmares. (laughs) But, and this feels very pro Francis to me, very high level, like maybe quietly high level trying to shake up the whole thing. There's an article from religionnews.com that the headline is Pope Francis is preparing a radical reform of the church's power structures and subheading in October Francis is set to inaugurate a three-year synodal I might be saying that wrong um, preparation process that has the potential to revolutionize the way decisions are made in the Catholic Church and promote a more decentralized structure of authority. Whoa. Yes. So by doing... Yeah, explain. So I pulled a couple highlights from the article. The idea is basically he wants to rethink the whole way the Vatican being at the head and then power coming down that way and instead making it more of a loop and make... I mean, I think there's going to be a meeting about how to structure the power structure, but essentially the idea is parishes and local organizations, and including lay people, could have more decision-making power and that it could kind of go up and down the chain and that everything wouldn't just be handed down from on high. So everything you and I talk about in terms of like healthy classroom structure where top-down learning isn't the best exactly it's all there we we're go. all paulo frere uh <laughs> pedagogy of the oppressed happening Deep here isn't he i bet i bet the pope has read paulo i would not south american super surprised if if the pope had read paulo frere it's a it's a pretty yeah. big big deal text i bet he's a well-read 
dude. For anyone who has no idea what you're talking about, do you want to do a Google in parentheses? Okay, Google. <laughs> no, it, it's a sort of way of thinking about education uh, rather than the banking model where like the teacher has the knowledge and they're kind of distributing it into the bank of children who just take it and now they have it, right? The teacher has it and they give it to the children and now they have it. It's it's more reciprocal. It's co-creating knowledge together. It's allowing students to bring their own experience to the classroom and that in turn kind of informing what, what the pedagogy looks like, the teacher at times learning from the students and all those things, like creating your learning based on students' lives, students' interests, students' knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it is kind of the the church version of that, I think. Here's some little blurbs from the article. Um, on October 9th and 10th, Pope Francis will inaugurate a three-year preparation process for the 2023 Synod. I don't really understand how it's a three-year process if it's 2023, but okay. Uh, which will focus on reforming the synodal process, the preparation process, and the synod with the theme for a synodal church. They just want me to say synod a bunch a in different versions. Times. In different ways and screw it up. Uh, For the synodal church, I'm assuming that's how you say that, communion, participation, and mission uh, have the potential to revolutionize the way decisions are made in the Catholic church and promote a more decentralized structure of authority. So uh, later it says the goal of the methodology commission in the first phase is to provide dioceses and parishes. So parishes or like groups of parishes with guidelines that promote spaces for dialogue among all members of the community, lay religious and disaffiliated. Us? Is that us? <gasps> That's why I, I got excited about that sentence. Disaffiliated feels very, like, was it disaffected? Very 90s yeah. youth. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, at-risk youth kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Listen, if they want to invite me to say what I think about the Catholic Church without any pressure to uh, to come back necessarily, I'll do it. I'll get in a room with those people. That's really interesting to me because I can't think of very many organizations at all that want to hear from people who left that organization. No. I mean, listen, I know we've we've said how it's like too little, too late kind of stuff. Like, all right, Pope Francis says we don't have to hate gay people. Again, like the bar is so low. But if you start talking about, like, disrupting entire power structures, like, I'm interested. Right? Because what I'm seeing here is, like, he's kind of playing the long game, right? Like, let's not, maybe I'm not saying, using my Pope power to say gay marriage is okay, women should be priests. Like, I, this is my hopeful, what Pope Francis is feeling in his heart. Maybe I'm not saying that, but maybe I'm saying we need to disrupt the entire power structure right. so that in the future, the Pope is not the one making those decisions. Well, it reminds me of, you know how everyone was really mad at RBG because she sort of said Roe v. Wade was not the right way to go about mm. legalizing abortion. She said it, and there needed to be a, a process that had smaller laws in it too because one big law was easier to overturn. So like a lot of feminist scholars I know of were like, she's not on board and really angry with her. But I think she, I always kind of appreciated that it was like very long game thinking. Mm-hmm. And especially yeah. what we're seeing right now is a direct kind of, result of that. Yeah. She knew that that was what was going to happen. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because as we're talking, 
I hadn't made this connection, but for this show today, I was looking up like Catholics for Choice, like mm. pro-choice Catholic groups, which is interesting. And I would love to have somebody on the podcast at some point to tell us more about that. But um, oh yeah, and the history there because I think it's a the obsession with abortion is pretty recent actually in the church of you know uh, obsession with with opposing abortion. But what I was going to say is a lot of the pro-choice Catholic groups talk about again. There's a church doctrine buried somewhere there's like so many doctrines it's kind of like the bible i feel like you can look through stuff and find the part you want with, with mm-hmm. catholic doctrine but there's a doctrine somewhere that essentially says if like the majority of lay people don't agree with something can't it's like comes back to the kind of conscience thing that like it, it cannot be valid because if if the majority of catholics globally don't agree with something there's something wrong with it right i mean oh i want to look that up so that's what these pro-choice Catholic groups are often arguing is like if you poll Catholics, many of them want abortion to remain legal. So I think of that in this situation because it's like if he's saying let's not have the Pope and bishops in charge of everything, let's let lay people have a bigger voice. Right. That's the kind of stuff we're starting to get at. I love that. I this is a it's going to sound really off topic, but my husband and I were craving Thai food and we live in an area uh, where that is not accessible. And That's so sad. But we were like, I miss those flavors. I miss those flavors. So we drove almost an hour to this amazing Thai restaurant. Mm. And the the woman who owned it, she was also like our server and she was incredible like in every way, shape or form. And on this big chalkboard there, it had her name and her cell phone number. And underneath it, it said, if you have any feedback or suggestions, or would just like to talk about the food, call me. Wow. Are you best friends (laughs) with her now? Do you text her every day? Well, she was really, really busy. And she couldn't stop by our table much. And as we were leaving, like, you know, we drove like so far to get here. And she got so upset with us. She's like, you have to come back. I was too busy. I couldn't oh spend gosh. enough time with you. I love this person. I love her so much. Um, so I immediately was like, put all the reviews on all the social media places about how great she is. But I, I couldn't, we were mostly, we were floored by the food because the ingredients were incredible and the food was amazing. But also that somebody would put their cell phone out there, which is a little much, but <laughs> she was like, I want to know you, my customer, better. I want to hear from you directly, like not through social media. So no anonymous mean, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I'm was. i hoping that's what that encourages. Yeah, right? If you right. have something that you want to complain about, talk to me. That is so smart. As opposed to blast it. I hope that is the result, but it kind of is reminding me of Pope Francis. Yeah, Pope Francis is the typhoon person. But I'm thinking like, what if you just opened the doors and said, come in and talk mm-hmm. to me as opposed to being angry out there where I can't hear you necessarily. Yeah. That makes me think of teaching stuff again too, right? Like as a teacher, what are the ways that you're allowing, or as, honestly as a parent, like what are the ways that you're allowing your students or your kids to come to you and feel like genuinely they can come to you with things and really, and be heard, heard and you're actually going to listen. And that requires like a good bit of confidence in your own position and humility, right? Like if you're feeling insecure mm-hmm. about your power, you can't listen because you're too afraid of showing any vulnerability. Right. Hmm. And I guess that is a maybe capitalist way too. It's mm-hmm. like, I have mm-hmm. to build my mm-hmm. walls mm-hmm. really. I, this is what I was thinking. I mean, <laughs> I was thinking about that with the Catholic church because I feel like when I'm talking about these upending power structures, I mean, whenever I'm talking like with folks, smart people about anti-racism or anti-sexism, et cetera, it comes back to like, well, we kind of just need to shake up this whole capitalist system we have because it all builds upon each other. So the idea of like 
shaking up the whole Catholic system. Sounds very exciting to me. I would really cool. There's a couple more things I want to read to you really fast. Yeah, yes, yes, please. So it says authority is closely tied to clericalism, a quote, perversion of the priesthood, as Pope Francis puts it, which also Mm. induces lay people into believing those who have received the priestly ministry are above the fold, especially in the exercise of power. This is all the I feel like you talk about this so much. It made me think of you. My mouth is like wide open. I'm like, get out, Pope Francis. So, I mean, just the perversion of priesthood is the quote, but that's sort of the author summation of what Pope Francis is talking about. It says financial corruption, immorality, and sexual abuse by clergy are just a few examples of the consequences of an untouchable clergy. With synod, oh, there are gonna be so many meat mad Catholics, <laughs> or so many excited ones. I don't know. Yes, they're really uh, trolling me here. With sy- synodality, <laughs> synodality. <laughs> With synodality. <laughs> synodality. Pope, That's a good band Pope name. Pope Francis hopes to break from a tradition that is inexorably tied power in the Catholic Church to members of the clergy. I mean, and it, at the end it says, uh, Pope Francis's gamble to act as an Ignatian spiritual director to 1.2 billion Catholics in the world, if successful, could become a countercultural statement for a new way of reaching decisions that other institutions might take note of. I love that. The idea of like Pope Francis, he doesn't want to be our boss. He wants to be our spiritual director. Mm. That's so great, right? See, he wants to be the person that you come to and say, like, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. And they're just there with you, not the person just telling you what to do. I love all of this so much. I'm back on my – I'm having a moment of, okay, Francis. I'm back on Francis. <laughs> so complicated. Such a such a complicated relationship I have with Francis. I would love to learn more about Pope decisions and pope decrees and like so if he's able to enact changes is it harder to change them back once the next pope is because i feel like all the research we've been doing for this show it feels like a pope says something and that lasts for like a hundred years regardless of if it was popular at the time kind of there's a lot that i feel like we've uh what was the dude before Paul, not Paul. I can't even think of him now, but he was the one who started the whole like ministry of connecting to the poor. Oh, Paul, Peter, something. Yeah. It was before Pius. Was it Pius or was it? It was before JP, right? The guy before JP. Yes. Yes. The one right before. It's fine. I cannot believe I've already forgotten that. They're all like Peter, Paul, Pius. It's a lot of P's, isn't it? Right. But he did a bunch of things that everyone was like, how dare Mm -hmm. you? And but they stuck. And so I'm I'm wondering if I'm hoping all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is a this is not something we're going to know about anytime soon. This is like several years away and it's like planning for the planning kind of a thing. I mean, it's thinking very (laughs) long game, right? The church moves in this very slow. So it is like moving the Titanic, like you said. But also maybe it's like moving the Titanic in a way where the Titanic will no longer be the Titanic, theoretically. It'll be something different yes. that is easier. A fleet of ships. Yes. I mean, I did <laughs> see some comments. I briefly glanced at, you know, comments are comments. But I briefly glanced and kind right. of saw, I can't even remember which side this person was on. But basically, you know, you could end up with lay people who are like, yeah, no, we love anti-abortion laws. <laughs> I mean, you can't. We, there yeah. are the lay people who are like the we love Latin mass pre-Vatican II lay people. So you do have those people. If you think about there's a wide swath giving more power to lay people like that's what you're inviting as well. Uh, so it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean everything would go real progressive <laughs> real fast. But it's it's certainly interesting to think about. As you're saying that, I'm just reminded of um, in Parks and Rec when they have the <laughs> town hall meetings. 
there's always there's chanting there's someone who wants twilight in the time caps i mean it's just you never know what you're inviting when you open it up for public opinion it's true if, if anyone's ever been in any kind of public forum like that it's real it's really real i want to go i'm going to go spend some time after this it is sunday when we're recording after all so i uh might spend a little time with the catholic church and doing some reading today because i'm fascinated pray a rosary and read some articles why not yeah i'll put a link in the notes for this article it's very yeah please something hopeful sometimes we need something hopeful especially with a lot of bad stuff going on in the world Mm -hmm. currently it's interesting that you put in this in the show notes and we're like maybe francis isn't so bad (laughs) so you mentioned before we started recording um that a family member of yours was talking about listening to the podcast Mm -hmm. and i just had a, a big to do with my family and they all started coming up to me like, what's this podcast? And one aunt was like, I just listened to your podcast. And my my dad said he was going to watch my show soon. So we'll see what that means. <laughs> Love you, dad. So I'm like, oh, goodness. It, uh, people I know are listening. And that made – I was like, I got a little shiver. I was like, mm-hmm. uh-oh, what have I said? But they all – the ones who hadn't listened yet kept asking, is it bashing Catholicism or is it pro-Catholicism? I was like, neither. Neither. And that shocked them more. <laughs> More than either of the other two options. Right? I think this is a theme we keep coming. I mean, last time with Kay, that's, I love, there was that moment where you talked about, uh, or you sort of named the non-binary. We were talking about gender and queerness and gender non-binary, but there's, I've seen a couple non-binary folks kind of name this thing of like, we need non-binary gender as part of this larger conversation about the world not being on a binary. And I think yeah. that's where we're at with with this show too much more interesting space I think yeah yeah I've been talking about I mean yeah some of my family has reached out to me about it and I have a fair number of relatives who are also lapsed Catholics um Mm -hmm. pretty much most to all of my dad's siblings would probably name themselves that way I don't want to assume that for them but Mm -hmm. for other lapsed Catholics who are in this liminal space of like I was I was raised this way these things totally influence the way I think about my life I maybe still see a article about the Catholic Church and I'm like "Mm, interesting Mm -hmm. but I'm not considered practicing like it's a it's a complicated place to be and I feel like we're not the only ones in that place. No. And I go keep going back. To, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast too. Okay. But the, the Jewish method of sort of making it more of a question as opposed to an mm-hmm. answer. Yeah. And I think there is a tradition of that in Catholicism. I mean, Catholicism is so old and vast. Like there is a tradition of that within like there are like Catholic mystics. Right. And also mm-hmm. um, like a strong academic tradition, like like our buddy Francis and his Jesuits. That is a lot about asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and being comfortable in that space of Love of it. not always coming to a an answer answer an answer mm-hmm. any other news to tackle the only other news article i i saw was how a certain ex-president is very mad at catholics right now who is he great why oh i was just, <laughs> it's like it cracked me up i was like what what are you even talking about takes us he takes a swipe at uh this is from business insider mm-hmm. That's where the Catholic news is coming from today. He takes a swipe at Jews, Catholics who didn't vote for him. Basically, you know, I got you all these judges. I did a lot for you. You should vote more for me. Israel never had a better friend. And I only got 25% of the Jewish vote. 
And now, because Joe Biden's Catholic, he's mad at Catholics, I think. Sure. And I mean, it says this in this article, Joe Biden is one of the more openly religious presidents in, I mean, George W. was pretty open about his born again-ness. Obama had, went to church, but I don't feel like the rhetoric around his religion was strong, except for when everyone was mad about his preacher friend. Chicago Um, and Trinity, who's who's great. (laughs) In my opinion, that's a great church. <laughs> but like other than that conversation, that his religion wasn't really right. Everyone was so angry about, you know, the color of his skin that they weren't really mm-hmm. investigating his religion. Yeah. And then obviously there was <laughs> no religion. And then now you have a Catholic. There um, was Trump gassing people and swinging a Bible around in front of a church after he had gassed everybody away, including the ministers, etc. If you can call that a religion, sure. And I actually, I saw, this is all these things, I saw a tweet. Listen, we're still in a pandemic. My life is fairly small. Uh, I saw a tweet somewhere <laughs> of someone who said he, like, saw Biden at mass. I mean, obviously he had to have had secret service and stuff, but just sort of slipped in at mass, didn't make a, you know, as much as one can when they're mm-hmm. flanked by secret service and uh, went to communion, did sign a peace, did all the things that one does as a Catholic and slipped away. And this is sort of in the midst of the Afghanistan stuff of the abortion ban of the New Orleans hurricane, all these big fires in the West, uh, the world, bur- our country <laughs> burning and flooding and all these things in a, bi- in a biblical and, yeah. way and uh went right. to church which i believe i mean there's a older have you ever seen the interview that he did on the colbert report years ago i don't recall uh or not the colbert report sorry i think it was uh and colbert the late night show yeah actual, actual okay. Col- stephen colbert uh it just is this because you know stephen colbert is also catholic catholic he's a practicing catholic pennsylvania too uh, no. Michael Keaton. <laughs> Michael Keaton's my Catholic Pennsylvanian. I take him. He's mine. I think uh, Colbert is from, from South Carolina, I think. Yeah, I think he is because my husband's from Something, there. But and, Catholic. Uh, that's an unusual thing to be from South Carolina. Anyway, I will I will send it to you and I will link it here because it just feels like a really – it's from years ago. It's when he de- he was deciding mm-hmm. not to run for president, which didn't go so well the first time. when. Uh, but they also both – lost exactly it really is their early lives were shaped by a lot exactly and that's what they and it just feels so catholic so two catholics who have experienced a great deal of loss in their families joe biden with his wife and daughter and stephen colbert with his dad and brothers dying when he was a child yeah i believe so again it was one of those catholic moments i don't know these people they're celebrities i'm not even from at part of the country where either of them are from but it just felt so I think they're both Irish Catholic too. So I just felt very, very Catholic folks talk loss in this way that felt so mm-hmm. familiar to me. There was something that I really connected with watching it. I think it's genuine. I think his Catholic faith is genuine. And having a Catholic president makes me get to like pretend we're living in the West Wing a little bit. <laughs> which makes that me is. I've never thought about it that way, but now I will. Thank you. It gives me some mm-hmm. solace. All right. Are we ready to talk some CCD versus Catholics. Whoa. Oh, goodness. Yes. All right. Please. I think you should talk CCD first because to me, CCD is a mystery. <laughs> it was the thing that kids I didn't know went into my classroom that I was normally in and did on Sundays. And I had no idea what was happening or who those. I grew up in a place where I didn't even know the public school kids. Uh, so it's not even like, oh, my friend down the street goes to CCD. I didn't even know who those people were. It's so funny. So I. <laughs> no idea this like ccd stigma existed until we started talking sorry 
Maybe it's just me personally. Maybe I'm really messed up. No, it's not because I was looking up the history of CCD and there was this really cool website I found. It was called catechistcafe.com. It says, this is a quote, the CCD kids were depicted in a bad odor by my Catholic school teachers. We were warned that if we had any valuables in our desk, we should take them home or they would be stolen by the public school Catholics. I was like, did Anne write this? (laughs) Is this, this is happening across the, I have. This is a big thing that Catholic schools are telling their kids that CCD kids are heathen. Yeah, that they're going to watch your stuff. They're going to steal it. I have heard similar stories from friends at other parishes this week was the narrative okay so i went to ccd in one two three four different states wow so you've so you've done it all you have a good uh i i don't imagine there are many people with that level of like i've done it all i've tested it out across the country and let me say not for me but so there was church and then there was the building next to the church Mm -hmm. and then there were classrooms and i just thought they were there for CCD. Oh. I had no concept that there were people that went to school in these mm-hmm. buildings. Like it was not something I was at all aware of. Wow. And some of them I bet they weren't. Some of them were just like big empty rooms that I think were there just for CCD in some parishes and yeah. some dioceses. But I don't I couldn't tell you which one was which mm. anymore. That's interesting. I mean, we went in, it was again, it felt like to me, especially in my younger years, that that was where like that was daycare. Mm-hmm. It wasn't at all about my education it was like church daycare so the parents could go to church without hearing children which is a thing that other uh denominations i mean my the methodist church i attend now has that like a place where the kids can go and play while you're in church and let me tell you especially when i had like a little kid and just no breaks it was actually really nice (laughs) it's like oh i just get to sit here quietly and not have a child climbing on me and asking for a snack it's gonna be great i remember one of my uncles converted to lutheranism and they invited all the kids like up to the front at some point to talk to them that's what we do they invite the kids up they have a great sermon specifically for children and then they walk off and go play with toys until the end of the service if they want or they can go back to their parents i was distinctly aware of being like this isn't how church goes and this is wrong and i think i was six it's like you all are doing church wrong uh, we have our family friend priest used to at this one particular mass we would go to he would invite the kids up around the altar for um the consecration so you'd see it like up close. That's that nice. was really nice. But that was as close. The Catholics don't have a place in the mass. There's no place for a children's sermon. So that was all he could do was like take something, invite kids up closer during the thing, which was cool as a kid to see all the child's up close. But it's That's not the same. All shiny. It is. Well, so actually at that Lutheran service, there's a I don't remember this, of course, but I've been told the story a million times. But uh, apparently the what do you call it in lutheran not priest uh, minister yeah or pastor pastor i don't he know he asked you know what does it take to get into heaven and i who always loves to answer right. the questions uh star student shot my hand up in the air and i stood up and i said you have to be catholic <gasps> <laughs> oh man uh, <laughs> That is amazing. Apparently, there was a moment of silence, and my uncle, my uncle Dave, who's notoriously the loudest person in our family, he started busting out laughing, and then everyone started laughing. <laughs> I think it must have been known I was a visitor from a Catholic church. I don't know, but I was like, I 
that's how much I was listening as a yeah, child. at CCD. Well, and like I've said before, it just from what you've said about CCD so far, this obsession with like you must be Catholic sounds to me more intense because we're talking to kids who aren't going to Catholic school and there's like perhaps a fear that, that you're going to lose them. I feel like there was just an assumption at our Catholic school, even though some of the kids weren't Catholic, that most of us were Catholic. We mostly knew Catholic people. We were not going anywhere that right. there wasn't, it wasn't said out loud so much. It was just like assumed like, yeah, of course we know we all have to be Catholic. This is what's happening. But it sounds like it was more explicit in CCD for you at least. Well, I mean, I obviously internalized that because I mm -hmm. grew up really believing that and I said it out loud to other people of other denominations. <laughs> I was like, oh it's nice that you're here, but you know, you're going to hell. So oh my gosh, Steph. <laughs> Probably my grandma's fault too, if we're honest. Because mm. she definitely felt that. I told you she had to go to confession when she went to a non-Catholic service. Oh lunatic uh, i love her but loony complicated <laughs> it's complicated and i was reading about this too so ccd came out of the whole concept of catholic education okay and for a long time it was being taught by people who were trained but over the years it's now like taught entirely by you know volunteers mm -hmm. for better or for worse so i don't feel like there's much like consistency with who was teaching or how they were teaching yeah. or to what degree their zealotness mm -hmm. <laughs> was involved. And also to what degree, I mean, in those situations, like I appreciate when people volunteer for things. Sure. Like yeah. that's great. But you know, when you have no uh, pedagogical training necessarily, just that alone, like throwing an adult who is not used to working with a bunch of children into a classroom where they're all sitting at desks and supposed to learn something, that gets dicey <laughs> alone. And then when you start talking about like God and salvation, et cetera, real dicey. Just just even not knowing who the person is. Yeah. What did I look up here? It's And again, it was the same catechistcafe.com, but I, I sort of checked this in a bunch of resources. But it said, in the 1960s, a perfect storm of troubles began to bubble up for schools. And that has a lot to do with people leaving the church and people questioning the church. And so mm. who was left is like the beginning of the decline of people practicing yeah. in America. Everyone was sort of grasping at straws, same way they are with like, why aren't there enough people signing up to be nuns or priests and mm -hmm. all of that? So like my CCD memories are mostly coloring books and very loose, sketchy memories. They're very fuzzy. And the idea of Catholic school was, I think I met a few kids that went to Catholic school, but I didn't know any. But I remember when I would meet kids from my public school and I found out they were in CCD too. I had that sort of moment you and I are having mm. like, oh my gosh, I could see you on the weekends. You go to the yeah. thing that I go to. And mm -hmm. when they were in my class, it was exciting, especially there was one young boy I had a crush on and I was like, he's in my CCD class. That's very exciting. Very exciting. But my biggest CCD memory is not a happy one. Mm. I, for some reason, this is really strange, but when I pictured this moment, I remember there was a girl in front of me that had a spree jeans on. Like she was very yes. fashionable. I, that really sets the tone for what, uh, what era we're in. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I was just a late bloomer in every sense of the word. And she was dressing to impress. And I was like, I don't, I was still wearing, I think I was wearing like matching tracksuit top sure. and bottoms. That is, that that's point. the type of stuff I was wearing. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. Trendy again now. Should have held on to him. Should have held on to him. 
I don't remember all of like the order of events, but I remember this was the one time I had to go to CCD at night. For some reason, my age group or maybe we had sports on Sunday that we couldn't spend extra time at church for. But I started going on, I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday evening to CCD. Wow. It's a lot of church stuff. It was a lot. But I we had to go. And that one, so it felt a little bit different in that there was no one else around. I remember when I would get out, it was dark outside. Yeah. Yeah, there was, I think there was only one other class, so we were just kind of alone, and it felt more yeah. like, I don't know, night school? I it, know, it was odd. a weird feeling, yeah. Yeah, and my great-grandmother died around the same time as my childhood dog died. Oh. And it was the first time I remember really contemplating the concept of infinity and mm. oh she's dead forever yeah and having my first panic attacks around this time about that but in my head I I was probably in fourth or fifth grade when this happened um in my head I was like at least my dog and my great-grandmother are together mm. And I think I expressed this in class, and I remember my CCD teacher getting so mad at me. He basically telling me dogs don't have souls and went into this long speech about us turning into dust when we die. And up until that point, my childhood concept of death was all like, then you go to heaven and you're an angel and everything is happy forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. There was no like you decompose. Like I hadn't done that part yet. Process that part. Yeah. So I remember coming home and like crying mm. and I was really upset and I couldn't sleep that night, had nightmares. And my mom got so pissed when she figured out what was going on. I remember her going in there and like having a talk with him. Good for her. I don't know what happened because of that, but I was like, For the longest time, I started after that really dreading CCD because I didn't want to hear what they had to say. So I just, I know I did the work. I know I went in because I can't help myself. I have to get straight A's. So I I think I continued, but I was, I was the beginning of my like emotionally shutting down in CCD for sure. But (laughs) I do remember we had to, you know, memorize certain prayers as homework. And I got in trouble and I got grounded. And my mom was like, you can come down when you've memorized the Nicene Creed. It is tough. The Nicene Creed. And then also when you're trying to memorize the Apostles Creed, because one is basically just like an abridged version of the other. And it's so so hard. Your brain it's so hard to remember. Rise. Yeah. But I came down, I think, like two hours later and I was like, I've got it. And she looked at me and was like, fine, you know, recite it right now. And I had it was like. Obviously, I was going to be an actor that needed to memorize lines because I had it memorized so fast. And she's like, That's I amazing. guess that was your punishment. You're ungrounded two hours later. Good job. She thought That's it was going to last a couple of days, I think. I once, um, I once in a performance art class with Mary Zimmerman, with, with Tony winning Mary Zimmerman, uh, created a performance art piece. The, the theme was memory. And it was all about my memorized uh, prayers I still had in my head in college. I don't know how effective it was as a piece, but uh, it was 
that was like the first thing I went to when I she said memory. I was like, you know what I had to do a lot of memorizing of? You sure so did. So many prayers. All of the time. But that's the thing too. I'm even telling the story. I'm realizing we never went through like line by line. When I get what a piece of Shakespeare text, the first mm-hmm. thing we do is look up every word and figure out what it says and rewrite it in your own words so that you really know what you're saying. That mm-hmm. was not part of this process. <laughs> just memorize it. Just in case you were concerned, it also was not part of the process in Catholic school. <laughs> maybe it is now. Maybe. maybe. I think we're learning you should probably be a CCD teacher, staff, because we'd be, be good, good at it. <laughs> we would be. Uh, I've seen you teach. You'd be excellent at it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, you're right. So I went around. I don't know if you discovered this, but so I looked at like the ancient history. You know how we found out that like confession and first communion didn't really get established till like the 1910s. Mm-hmm. School, Sunday school goes back to 1536. Whoa, that's really old. Right. I was I was expecting a whole like it didn't start till 1920. Like the, the 19, 1536. So they started Sunday schools, but this is my favorite. And this is, if there's anyone listening who has more information on this dude, please let me know because I want to know more about him. Okay. Because it says around 1560, a wealthy Milanese nobleman named Marco de Sadis Cusani. I'm okay. so not pronouncing that right because I never studied Italian. He established with a bunch of, and everything I read said this the same way. He had a bunch of zealous associates, both priests and laymen, that decided they were going to instruct people in Christian doctrine. Mm. But everyone referred to them as zealous associates. And I I could not find (laughs) – I want to know this person's biography. I want to know – he was some rich dude that was like, I will do this. I have some zealous associates. (laughs) Exactly. I want to know who these people are, what made them zealots. Why he decided, I mean, of course, I'm not surprised that a rich dude decided he was the one that would go around deciding things, but mm-hmm. I could not find any information on him. There's no even like Wikipedia page for him, but I want to know more. Hmm. I know. But then eventually it split up. There was the priests became the fathers of Christian doctrine and the laymen turned into, you guessed it, the confraternity, confratern- that's a hard one to say, confraternity. confraternity. Of Christian doctrine. So they. CCD. Now we know. Right from these zealot associates. So <laughs> no wonder. Yeah. Well, I think this idea that like you have to teach, you have to teach children in order to make the world more Catholic, make stuff more Catholic. We have to get them young. Mm-hmm. That sounds like what that's about. I don't know. Zealous associates. It feels very, um, what is it? Was it Paul? The one that wanted was yelling at the Corinthians all the time? Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. much like that. Like Paul, yeah. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. I just, um, I had a moment. This is uh, makes me think of religious education. Lots of things have conversations about education and uh, the current moral panic about quote unquote critical race theory, et cetera, mm-hmm. in terms of how we're teaching kids. I recently was, um, I was explaining, this is, it comes up occasionally, I will, or my husband and I will make a reference to like an old cartoon or something. And then we have to explain it to my six-year-old because he doesn't know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we said something about pinky and the brain. And so I started explaining pinky and the brain to my six-year-old and like what that whole conceit was. It was like two lab rats trying to take over the world. He thought that was very funny. It is. Yes. It's, it's his brand of humor. And I said, yeah, they want to take over the world. You know, they're mice. And he thought for a second, he was just in the car. We're just talking about this cartoon. And he said, you know, if someone really wanted to take over the world, the first thing they should do is take over education. And I said, 
And I said, uh, oh, wh- why do you say that? And he said, well, because if you can c- control what people know and what they believe, then you can, can start start controlling the whole world. <laughs> I Either- was like... <laughs> Your child better use his powers for good because otherwise things are going very badly for the rest of us when Uh, he grows up. Right? I know. He's too smart for his own good. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was so fascinating to me how, uh, yeah, my kids, I mean, I'll brag on my kids. They're both, you know, brilliant and adorable and all those things. That's so perceptive. It really was. And I had never, I mean, I'm not talking to him about this stuff in the news about, you know, people at uh school board meetings freaking out because someone says slavery was bad etc i'm i mean that's not stuff i mean that's not even stuff i'm even talking to my husband like about around him i don't i have i don't remember anything coming because that's not really that's not an issue in my community which pretty homogeneously not homogenous in most ways but homogeneously progressive here uh so for him to just say that he just came up with that himself he'd just been thinking about it and i think actually i think a lot of six-year-olds would like that's logic that's pretty basic to them it's anyway it's what i'm thinking about as you're talking about i love i love that i i mean i'm thinking like re-education camps and propaganda mm-hmm. I, of course so many to- yes historically that is even um enslaved people not being allowed it being a crime to, to right. teach an enslaved person how to read have you heard about i can't remember where i heard about this the the slaves bible how they took out any all they the took references out- references to uh to to being enslaved in egypt and escaping slavery kind of right the whole the whole old testament which i also very again i learned in high school i feel i feel like on the first day of um sophomore theology class we had our bibles it was like bible year where you just look at read the bible every day at theology class yeah but our teacher who i will forever appreciate said basically was like hey lots of the stuff in the bible is not like most of it's not historically true. And this was blowing all these girls' minds. And so people would be like, Noah and the Ark? She'd be like, yeah, no, no, not like true. Like parable. An, allegor- an allegory, yeah. And yeah. then someone else would say like, you know, uh, I, I mean, just naming various things like, yeah, no, no, probably not true. And it almost looked like people were going to be in tears. Re- they were that devastated? Because in Catholic school, you just learn these, you're in religion class every single day. Even going through all that in high school, the thing that I only learned recently is that there's no historical evidence that Jews were actually enslaved in Egypt. There's no historical evidence that there were Jewish people enslaved in Egypt? Not, no. I have to repeat that whole sentence because I'm like, wait, what? I'm sorry. I've watched a lot of movies about this. That the Jewish slaves did not actually build the pyramids. That, And a lot of rabbis say, like, yes, it's an allegory or it's a it's a myth and it's meant to teach us something, but it's not. There's no, like, archaeological evidence of it. But Moses. Right? I thought that part was historically true. I just read a thing that said that it's probably not. I'm not going to say I don't know, but it, there's not there's little to no archaeological evidence for it. I thought I knew this stuff, Steph. I thought I... I, thought I feel I... like we have to have a huge timeout because I don't understand anything anymore. I know. I don't know why that was so foundational to what I thought I knew about the world, but it was. But, 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 but I feel like, yeah, everything I know about the this Jewish is, religion is about having, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were still persecuted. Oh, right? they were. Totally. Because that's not untrue. I mean, and are. Yes, um, yes. Jewish continue. people are still persecuted in many parts of the world and in the U.S. But, but not enslaved? Not in that particular 
history Wait. isn't yeah oh my god i've got a but lot see, of we, here's do. the problem stuff is that you and i in ccd are in religion class i think it was all taught as such fact that now we don't know which parts are real and which parts were maybe not real and which parts are definitely parables we don't know at least i don't know uh-uh <laughs> i don't know anything uh, i don't know anything there oh what was the name of there's a guy that wrote a book called Zealot about Jesus. Um, I yeah. saw him speak at the Chicago Public Library downtown, which is a stellar place to visit. But um, he was talking about historical Jesus and the anarchist that he was. And there mm-hmm. was so – of course, there was so much anger in the audience because you can't bring up – saying something – you know something about Jesus without everyone being mad at you. But it is something that I remember – Going to Catholic school and my very first theology teacher in freshman year said something about like, I think Jonah is a Babylonian myth. Hmm. I can't remember which story in the Old Testament really, but I remember him like being like, and letting us, helping us trace it back to a Babylonian myth like Gilgamesh. Hmm. And it was the first time somebody had ever acknowledged that to me. I was 14 and already confirmed and everything. Yes. It doesn't happen until high school. But I liked him so much for telling me. I yes. was like, thank you for being honest. Thank you for treating me like I can hear things and understand what poetic truth is versus historical truth. But this guy, he's talking about historical Jesus. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you even know what historical Jesus is? I don't even mm-hmm. know how you piece it out. No, I know. But what I was going to say sort of ties into that, which is that even when I went to Catholic school, I actually pulled out my yearbook because I could not remember. I know a priest came. We had mass under the pines because we had pine trees and no church. Oh, that sounds nice. It was nice. And it's Florida. So it was usually warm enough outside mm-hmm. that there was a priest there. In my head, he came from that neighboring elementary school church. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't think we had a priest on staff. I looked up in my yearbook and apparently we did. I have no memory of him. We didn't. But we also were in all-girls school, so it's a different thing. But did you have nuns? A couple, but not that many. So we had something I was going to mention in like my Catholic school experience. Our high school at the time, now it's a separate building, I believe, but at the time it was the retirement home for the Sisters of Mercy in the larger Midwest area. Mm-hmm. So if you went to a certain wing of the school, it was like the English wing. It's also where there was like a preschool program that I taught senior year. There would just be roving, retired, very elderly nuns in their wheelchairs and their little scooters. What? just going by you just say hi sister and there were just these elderly nuns kind of all over the place um but in terms that in terms of nuns who taught there were a few like I had my chorus teacher was a nun there was another nun not a sister of mercy but a different type of nun who wore a habit who was a theology teacher and also a vegan she seemed cool but other than that mostly lay women a few men one like former religious brother I believe See, I had always thought that Catholic schools were taught by nuns when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like, they're nuns who will hit you on the back of your hands with rulers and and some priests. That's it. And so when I went to Catholic school and there were no priests or nuns, any mm-hmm. religious people around, I felt like it was a continuation of CCD in a large sense. Yeah, was like, that makes sense. Like, wait, where am I? Who are you to be telling me anything? I want to hear from the people. It's that authority, right? That Pope I, guess, I was believing it, into it. Yeah, we were taught that, that those are the people in authority. Mm-hmm. Wait, so the Mass Under the Pines. Mass Under the Pines. I really, was it every Friday? It feels like it was every Friday. I feel. Oh, wow. You had Mass every week. I feel like that could be wrong. 
my memory. Like we only went on holy days of obligation. High school feels so long ago. Um, I mean, it was at this point. We had it pretty regularly, but let's put all of those pieces together. I was often in a skirt. We had to sit on the ground mm-hmm. under pine. So we have pine needles sticking Ouch. to our thighs. Okay, yeah, that's less exciting. Pine cones. That's what we were up against. I got in a lot of trouble because I insisted on wearing the boys' pants. Oh. I dressed very androgynously until college. I was. That was an option, though. I love that because we had no pants. Not really. Oh. <laughs> they finally they made it so girls could wear shorts because one of the first things I learned at Catholic school was to wear boxer shorts under my skirt because. Because oh, everyone was looking up. And I was like, I'm sorry, oh. what? But that became your form of protest, like the different cool boxer shorts you would get, like your favorite oh. cartoon characters. And if they caught you with them, which I don't understand how a teacher could catch you with your boxer shorts, but you would get mm. in trouble for wearing them. Oh, no, no, no. Because it wasn't part of the uniform. And I'm like, my other option is to have my undies out for everyone to see. Oh, no. okay. So... Yeah, I went to an all-girls Catholic school, and I feel like the stereotype, and I feel like this existed if I encountered other schools, especially if my friends and I encountered other high schools where we were like, oh, like the stereotype was that girls wanted to look really cute and make their uniform kind Mm -hmm. of cute and like roll their skirt to make it shorter. There were those. Yes. Uh, At my school, at least when I was there, we had a skirt. Each year had its own skirt, so you would know what year somebody was by their plaid. You had what? Yeah. Uh, every, you had the same skirt freshman, sophomore year, and then junior, senior year. You got to vote on it for junior, senior year. So they would put up the plaids and you got to put a little something in the bucket and whoever got the most votes. like Scottish tartans or something. It it was, it it, it was. And we, we would talk about, oh, I like that plaid. And so usually the junior, senior was the cuter one because people had voted on it. It was kind of more in style. So like I had a plaid freshman, sophomore, but my junior, senior year was (laughs) like basically just a gray because that's what we wanted. I mean, a gray, gray. no plaid, minimal plaid look was, or like just not ugly colors. So yeah, mine was always gray. Okay. We had a plaid. So you could tell what year a girl was based on her plaid. And also we would wear boxer shorts for sure. We'd wear our skirt a little bit unzipped on the side to make it like comfier. And so- it was all girls. So it kind of felt like you were just hanging out. Yeah. I mean, most of us who were straight and the girls who were not straight were closeted. Mostly. Not all. You know, it's like hanging out with your friends. You don't have to look too fancy. And sort of as you went on, like by the time you were in senior year, you had like barely brushed your hair that day. I mean, we just there was like <laughs> the teachers would get irritated at us because they said we look so unkempt. We keep our skirt a little bit unzipped on the side just to make it like comfier and like ride lower because this is at the time we're like a low waist. You know, they were high waisted and like that's not what anyone was wearing. It was like Britney Spears, super low waist jeans and things. So you'd wear your boxers and then you'd wear your skirt a little bit unzipped. There was one pocket where you could put like a couple pencils. Oh, we didn't have any pockets. We had one pocket. And then they must have learned that we were not prepared to keep our shirts tucked in because the shirt was actually really, it was a polo. It was like a nice thick knit and it had a a two inch band at the bottom, elastic band. So you didn't have to tuck it in. It just, so I'm short waisted. I can't much do a tuck. So that was actually great for me. I got so many detentions for like my shirt would come untucked and back and I would get a detention. Yeah. See, we didn't have to worry about that. It was, I love that they did that because I feel like when you set someone up for that kind of thing, that irritates me when people set up kids for, to break the rules. Mm-hmm. I did get in trouble for having patterned socks. People would really try to push that boundary and also the type of shoes. Oh, now absolutely. I believe there's like a standard two types of shoes, but at the time it was just like there was criteria for the shoes, but people uh-huh. would try to push the boundaries for shoes. I yeah. was that person. Yeah, same. I also, 
you weren't supposed to wear like a head like you could if you a muslim girls could wear headscarves but like otherwise you weren't supposed to wear like a scarf or anything like much in your hair mm-hmm. i think that was honestly some panic around like gangs which i don't think that was big weird. in the 90s everyone was yeah. really afraid of everyone gangs. was terrified that, of gangs and colors i mean and- i lived in central florida and there it was a whole to do yeah with like handkerchiefs and pockets and yes. stuff like that bandanas oh. yeah well i remember a substitute teacher I was walking down our super crowded hallway. You literally couldn't walk during the passing period. You hold your books in front of you and like slowly walk because the hallways were just like packed. We had 2000 mm-hmm. girls in this smaller school. And I remember the substitute teacher grabbing my head. I had like a purple headscarf. I was wearing like a headband and she grabbed it and yanked me back and what? was like, you're not supposed to have this. And just that physical thing of like suddenly being physically pulled by your head. No, thank No. Yeah. I mean, she didn't write me up or anything. Thank goodness. But like, ew, you don't grab someone by their... You don't have the right to touch anyone like that. So that was a thing I was like hedging on. We did get to carry a purse. We could not carry backpacks because I think it was like... Too crowded? Physically dangerous. Yeah. To like swing your backpack on. I I feel like there was a rumor that someone had like hit an elderly nun with their backpack, but that feels like something someone made up. Yeah. So we couldn't have backpacks, but we could carry a purse. Mm -hmm. And yeah, most girls did not wear makeup or... uh, do much with their hair or shave their legs very often i mean that was it sort of became a thing of pride of like i can just be cool and relaxed because right it's all girls and it's kind of like a giant sleepover i wish i mean there's a lot that i i don't know i go back and forth on whether or not i had like a separated gendered education but i mean mostly i had a lot of guy friends so i would have missed Mm. them incredibly but there there was all these, yes, yeah, subsections of uniformness. Like there was the group that was always rolling their skirts up. Then there was, like I said, my group that was trying anything they could to not be sexualized. Mm-hmm. I had to get my guy friends to give me their pants because we weren't technically allowed to have them. Oh, You had to wear shorts or a skirt. And I just didn't like having my legs out in Florida. Yeah. I should have welcomed free-leggedness. <laughs> Yeah, we had to have our legs bare in the winter, and I would walk to school. I would wear pants under my skirt sometimes walking, but we also usually, most people's schedules at some point, they would have to cut through outside, like cut Uh through to a door outside. And so I would literally be walking like Chicago winter, snow, (gasps) like sometimes like, you know, negative degrees with my bare legs, not for a long time, but... I don't know. It's what we had to do. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, Florida can suddenly drop down into the 40s, which when you're not ready for it, it can feel no. very, very cold. I understand. So we have sweaters and sweatshirts. And I remember there was also the legion of people that no matter what the weather was, um, had their sweatshirts tied around their waist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was also coverage. I feel yeah. like I mean, the amount of time we've... <laughs> Female identifying people spent uh, covering ourselves up from the male gaze was intense. Yeah. Well, and that was something nice, I will say. And I'm skipping. I'm I'm not even talking elementary school, which all kinds of things. I mean, I was in K through eight Catholic schools are generally co-ed, at least around here. But in high school, I think I was a little bit ill prepared to like talk to boys and also to navigate having boys in my classes once I got out of high school but there wasn't the thing of boys talking over girls in class like that didn't happen we didn't have boys and actually there were a couple things that were like collaborations between us and our the boys school next door Mm -hmm. like band marching band was and a couple other things and the year I started junior year when I started my like 
theater, it was like for the people who are serious about theater, right? So it's like your theater one and two, your junior and senior year. Mm. They started allowing boys from other schools had always come to be in the plays, could audition for the plays, and they all got in because we needed more boys. So if you were a boy, you were automatically like in one of the right. shows, basically. Uh, but they started allowing boys. They started making it a, a collaborative class. So boys from Brother Rice were coming over to Macaulay for theater class. And I remember my friends and I being like, uh-uh, we don't want this. Before the first day, being like, we have boys coming over. Like, I'm not ready for this. I don't, this is going to be so annoying. It ended up being fine. They were, because they were theater boys. Oh. So, <laughs> I mean, so. they ran the gamut. You know, they were individuals with their own mm-hmm. merits and not. But there were, I think, a lot of boys who were queer and not out uh-huh. or or just sort of like misfitty types uh you know people who end up doing theater which are often the people who maybe have had troubles fitting in in other mm-hmm. places so it was fine and not weird and we made friends and it was great but yeah that was like a thing like oh no there's gonna be boys also if there was any uh male under the age of like 50 in the school it would be like omg he is so cute so it was like a substitute <laughs> teacher or like there was a janitor at one point who didn't come in till after school but if you had an after school activity would be like have you guys seen the janitor in seawing because real cute there was just there were limited All options buzz. so you gotta do what you gotta do I love it. But in your elementary school, did you, is that when you had nuns or is that lay people too? Um, I'm, so in first grade, I had a nun. Mm-hmm. Two of my schools, my first two schools, our principals were nuns, actually. Oh. But the majority of my teachers were lay women, were Catholic, non-nun women. Non-nun. Non-nun. I mean, I think that has to do, and I didn't research the nun piece too much, but I think that has to do with just a lack of nuns. You know, I know at one of the schools I went to, I like once I was like in college or something, I read that one of the schools I had gone to had gotten a group of nuns from the Philippines or something to all come and teach the kids at the school because they like didn't have, they imported nuns from another country, a whole order to come live at their, uh, what's it called? It's not the rectory. Cloister? No, just the house that the nuns all live in. Uh, The, oh my gosh. Nunnery? No. (laughs) I don't know. Where do the nuns live? Where do the nuns live? A convent. I googled where do the nuns live. How could I not kind of, I couldn't come up with the word convent. I couldn't come up with the word convent either. Uh, Yeah, they just imported nuns. It's like uh, what high schools do for basketball teams. (laughs) Just find someone somewhere else and bring them on in. (laughs) Import them from another country. Yeah, I mean, just in researching Catholic schools, nothing too crazy and exciting. That there were Catholic missionaries and priests that came with the Spanish even before the U.S. was a country. So there was kind of already unofficial Catholic education happening then. Uh I didn't realize Maryland was founded as a Catholic colony. Apparently it was. Is that why its state flag is so much better than anyone else's? I didn't know about their state flag, but sure. I'm going to say yes. Okay. It's the best state flag. Feels very, um, I don't know, like Renaissance England. I don't know. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. But apparently there were not a lot of uh, Catholic schools even then. It was really in New Orleans in the early 1800s. The French? Yeah, where the French. It was the Spanish first, then the French started having... Catholic schools there. Ursuline Academy, New Orleans. I was founded in 1727. This is, I don't know what says this, whatever my source. Uh, <laughs> the Graduated the first female pharmacist and the first woman to contribute a book of literary merit. I don't know what that means exactly, but all the, the books before just didn't have literary merit. That's all. Not at all. Because they were written by women. <laughs> oh. 
I also read some things that, I mean, this is the thing about the Catholic Church. I feel like at some point, the Catholic Church was progressive in a lot of things. So the Catholic schools were some of the first places where Black students were educated. In, in America. America. Yes, obviously. Okay. Yes, I should clarify. Ooh. Sorry, I just want to make sure. Uh, I don't but, know. Yeah, Catholic <laughs> schools in, in America were some of the first places where Black students were educated. This was even pre-Civil War, so that in, often included both enslaved children, this is what we're talking about, mm-hmm. and children from free black families. Would this sort of before there was like a public school system? Yes. This was sort of providing education. So I guess it was in 1875, Ulysses S. Grant called for the constitutional amendment that would mandate free public schools and also prohibit public school funding for Catholic schools and other parochial type schools. schools. Yeah, sectarian yeah. schools. The 1960s was kind of the heyday, which makes sense. That's sort of, I think, around that time, 50, 60, that's like when our parents would have been, you know, yeah, that was the heyday of Catholic schools. And 4.5 million elementary school students were enrolled in Catholic schools in the U.S. Wow. By the mid-1960s and another million in Catholic high schools. I saw things mentioned specifically about Irish and Polish immigrants, especially Polish mm-hmm. immigrants in Chicago. Um, who mm. made up like a super large proportion of that. So yeah, that's that's my people. Well, it's, there's like a bunch of thoughts happening in my head. This is where I start like, again, having s- uh, more empathy for all of this because like a lot of these, from what I was seeing was like 1884, American bishops were concerned about anti-Catholic mm-hmm. bias. And that's what, so it was a lot to do with like the influx of, immigrants that were catholic yeah. from ireland but also eastern european also eastern european uh, like myself mm-hmm. when you came a little bit later usually but people were so scared of catholics yes. there's an interesting have you ever heard of the book um the history of white people no but i should read that i can't believe i haven't read a book called the history of white people oh it's an incredible book well how like what that definition means and how it changes and who invented white people basically yeah because it's a concept race is a construct and it has real life and death and social economic realities uh plays out in that way it's both it's both and it's a huge right it's a huge determiner in so many things and it's not real at the same time in this book it was saying how uh catholics weren't part Mm -hmm. of that definition of white people for all for a long time which is kind of sometimes why people hold on to it now with such a Mm -hmm. fierce grasp of their hands but thinking about my grandparents uh, new new in this country and and the idea of what they were up against and the catholic schools being a place where you felt included just like in our area we have different homes for different ethnic groups the polish home the slovak home the croatian home mm. it's still a, that happens here as thinking about that and also in terms of a place to go where you felt safe like that made me I don't know my heart grew Mm -hmm. a little bit thinking about the construction of churches totally that sense or church schools yes and especially I mean my like on my mom's side my great great grandfather came directly from Poland to the U.S. I think he was orphaned or something like that he was in a bad way and his priest basically gave him a couple bucks a bible and some holy cards he wrote this all down somewhere so it's available somewhere my mom might have it or something and and he heard of some 
Polish people in Chicago and traveled from small town Poland to Chicago to live with this house full of Polish Catholics and labored there. And that was his whole world. It, you know, my family then for like several generations, it was like Polish Catholics were their world. It was this thing similar, I guess, to what other immigrant groups feel now of like, you need support, you need community support, and you need to stick together. And people who see mm-hmm. you for you. Um, and respect your cultures and customs. But I mean, that is the whole thing, right? With white Catholics in the U.S., with whiteness, like we maybe weren't, Mm -hmm. we weren't white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And so we were the outsiders. But guess what? We're happy to jump into that role as insider. And if it meant oppressing Mm -hmm. other people, great, because now we're in with the in crowd. And instead of saying, huh, we were the victims of xenophobia. So now we're going to fight xenophobia now that we're the majority white people and we're included in that group no it's not what's happening not what's mm-hmm. more generally not what's happening Ugh. what would jesus do <laughs> not that i was also thinking like talking about our parents in the heyday a family friend of ours told me once that my parents sent me to catholic school because i would was acting up oh so much as an eighth grader and i just assumed that was true and i wow that was my story for a long time and i think a year ago when i was 40 i asked my mom about it and she's like no that is not what happened i was like what that changes my whole narrative wow so interesting I know this woman is not a reliable source on many fronts and I should have known better. But so around here, the the Catholic school was being built. Mm. And when my dad was young, they lived on the side of a mountain when he was a child, like outhouse everything. Um, And he had to go live with some other relatives to go to kindergarten because they were so far away from school. So he had to go down into town and didn't even live with his parents so he could go to school wow long history but he didn't get to go to the catholic school he had to go to the public school and he loved that school he has a lot of good memories there but he always wanted to go there that was the special school and his brother right beneath him he was in the first graduating class from that at kennedy christian now it's Mm -hmm. called kennedy catholic then and he was always jealous of it so apparently his goal for a lot of his life was to be successful enough to be able to afford to send us to Catholic school. Wow. So it was a mark of his capitalistic success. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, that's funny because um, since, you know, people are talking to me about Catholic stuff now that I'm doing this podcast and, you know, I grew up in this little enclave of very working class, kind of Irish and Polish and Italian Catholics mostly that still exists. A lot of union jobs, a lot of cops and firefighters and city workers and teachers and you know kind of what you think of those middle class jobs but I've Mm -hmm. had two people say to me recently that in the places where they grew up the Catholics were the people with the most money and in part it was because they could Mm -hmm. afford that because they grew up in places where most people went to public school and so if you could afford private school and and oftentimes the the Catholic private schools around them were very expensive Mm -hmm. yeah and I um Actually, my uncle just told me that he found out at one point that, my, you know, my grandfather, his parents were from Ireland. He had three sisters. It was four kids. And his dad died when he was really young. And he did go to Catholic school, but his mom cleaned the convent once a week. And that that was her tuition for all of her kids. Wow. So that that sort of Catholic school experience of being I'm an Irish Catholic immigrant and I want my kids to be in a school where I know they'll be valued um, as people and Mm -hmm. I'm going to 
do whatever I need to do. And the, and it's being sort of a charity thing of like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to give you tuition for this small kind of act of service every week. That is very different than someone in a wealthy community who says, well, I'm going to go to this top tier Catholic school because it's Catholic. And maybe also because academically they do really well and it's a college prep school. Um, It's that gamut and that's over time. But I think both those extremes still exist even now to a degree. Sure. And I know that Catholic schools are sort of suffering because I know teachers don't get paid there. What they get paid in the public? They do not get paid well. They're mostly not unionized from what I know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel, and you know, in, in Chicago, I think there certainly is a, um, like a racial and racist (laughs) component. Um, Mm. there are so few white kids who go to Chicago public schools. The number is just low. I remember from working in them. <laughs> uh-huh. Me too. Well, and it's funny because I had never, so, I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it when I was thinking about this, this episode, I hadn't set foot in a public school until I started working in schools a little bit in college. I'd never been in a public school. Oh, that's mind blowing to me. I know you've said it, but phrasing it that way, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've been in tons of public schools now because as a teaching artist and a education director and all those things, I've worked in a ton of public schools in Chicago and also in Texas and some other places. So when I'm thinking about, oh, what are fundamentally Catholic school things, I have to be drawing from my experience mostly as an adult. Ah. Oh, these are the things that aren't like the point I was making previously was that um, in Chicago, it, there is a racial component to to it. A lot of white people send their kids to public historically send their kids to Catholic school instead of to the public schools. And so it becomes, um, even if the school is not super expensive or whatever, it is a tuition based school that we do have, I believe there is a level of a like tax break voucher type situation actually happening as of a couple of years ago in Chicago, which was very controversial where people can get some kind of tax break when they go to Catholic school and the Catholic schools do kind of tout that as like, here, you can go to Catholic school. We'll help you figure out how to get your tax break. I wish I'd known about that story when I was going to school. Cause I think I, I would have, I would hope that I would have been more appreciative of the sacrifice, I guess, or the determination of my dad to send me there. Yeah. I definitely was not at the time. Well, and you kind of thought, I thought it was a punishment. Were you were you in high school when you thought that, or was that when you were? It older? was towards the end of my time in high school when I first okay. was told that. Yikes! But I also, I had been having a hard time <laughs> at that point in my life. Mm. It was such a abrupt to go from public school to private school, especially Catholic school. It's very abrupt, and because like you're, yeah. I mean, I think this is a similar view. Everyone had gone to school together from kindergarten through eighth grade. All of those people went to the high school. Um, they'd all known each other forever. And I feel like in yeah. public school, I met a lot more people who were transients like me. Mm. So the kids I went to school with weren't used to getting new kids. And so mm. they weren't as adept at being kind about it. Although some people super, I mean, the, I think the islands of misfit toys I found like in the theater department were the kind of people who were mm-hmm. good at, at wanting new, different kinds of people around. But there are, there were so many other rituals and even just wearing a uniform. I mean, it was just really hard to go from one institution like that to another. The, the uniforms were so hard on me. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, I had the opposite where when I got to college, I was like, first of all, I was like, wait, I have to pick out 
clothes every day every day this is so annoying like I've, I remember joking like I wish I had my uniform I will say my all girls high school did a great job of empowering me in a lot of ways I think I was not prepared for like the sort of mansplaininess that happened mm. in college and in fact it's not until like now that I like I, I now as an adult remember situations where I would give an opinion in a class in college and a boy would say like no that doesn't make any sense no I just totally disagree with that and I I was so unaccustomed to that kind of response I just don't feel like that was the culture of the classrooms I had come up with that I would literally think oh gosh yeah I'm so dumb of course that's so stupid of me <laughs> oh. instead of instead of holding my position right. because I just I don't feel like girls are taught to come at stuff that way to just sort of mansplain and strongly disagree in the boys it was just implicitly and explicitly probably without teachers realizing it that was uh that that is <laughs> sort of more rewarded mm -hmm. and so I just was so unprepared for that and I'm glad that I didn't you know as it as an adolescent I didn't have that situation but um as much but now that I think about it, I realize what a shift that was I think I struggled in college a lot because I just I do think I struggled in undergrad because I I was such a shift then to go I had just gone to Catholic school my whole life I was really I'm really good with a lot of structure mm -hmm. it, outside not self-imposed structure outside imposed <laughs> structure I mean I always I wore a uniform from the time I was five we walked in boy girl lines everywhere quietly I mean just walking in boy girl line that was just assumed you open class with a prayer I remember playing school with my cousin and her friends and they did go to public school and I remember we said the Pledge of Allegiance which we no one unpacked the problematic sort of nature of being forced to pledge allegiance wow. to the flag every day but we said the Pledge of Allegiance and I was ready. I crossed myself. I was ready to say the prayer. That's what happened. You said the Our Father and a Hail Mary after your Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of the day. And I was like, oh, oh no one else is doing that. Wow. That's not nope. how, how we play school here. Okay. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I just in general, I was used to being told what to do. Well, when I went to college, I did lament not having my uniform. I was like, oh, God, I have to pick something out again this is tedious after a while I did appreciate the lack of choice in that sense because like this mm -hmm. is hard making myself look interesting through my clothing all the time who do I want to be today based on my clothes right it's more fun to me to have those limitations where then you're like can I sneak a extra colorful scrunchie or I don't know you know right what are the little breaks yeah can I put a little pin on mm -hmm. my skirt or something versus like wait I've got the whole it's like I appreciate I'm a pescatarian and I when I go to an actual vegetarian restaurant I'm like I can choose anything this is too many options <laughs> I need <laughs> I need some limits so that I only have a couple options I give me my mm -hmm. uniform and then I will just accessorize mm -hmm. it's better I need I need to be told what to do is what I'm saying I I do better when there are lots of rules it's funny I talked about my dad wanting me to go to Catholic school but he also is the person who very much trained me not to just accept authority mm. he's always getting in trouble with my mother for doing the thing you're not supposed to do like if a door says do not open open it like I remember us going on a White House tour I think Ooh. I think when I was in elementary school like fifth grade again everything happened to me in fifth grade it's crazy but he there was like all these White House peep security guards and everything and he kept having to look in the door they said you can't open and try to go down the hallway that's off limits and just my mom just getting very stressed out because he can't stop breaking the rules that's one of the like Gretchen Rubin's four personality types you know about that no Gretchen uh, uh, I'll look anyway up. one of them is the rebel or something and it's like basically someone who 
that's just their personality is they have to question everything. There's also a questioner, but there's then there's like the rebel, like I have to do the opposite. And that's where I am. I I think that's (laughs) – if I had never gone to Catholic school and so had such a big thing to question, I might still be Catholic. Mm. Because I was like, wait, I have to do this? I'm not doing it. The irony, Uh yeah. Whereas I was like, tell me what to do and I will do it. I mean, I remember – the school I went to starting in fourth grade, like it was everyone. My dad had just died. I had to go to a new school. My house was just this sad grieving house. And then everyone I talked to when I would say, or my mom would say like, oh, this is my daughter. She's going to fourth grade. They would go, oh, that's an awful class of kids. They're oh, really I- bad. Which was just the opposite of what I needed in my life. Right. And they had a kid like expelled every year. And now I realize these are kids who were just having like, they're probably on the autism spectrum or probably had different. Or traumatized somehow. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. The kids who were in trouble all the time, often now I realize like came from traumatic backgrounds and unstable homes and were just punished a bunch. Anyway, yeah, I was I have this memory of this teacher saying, like, everyone be quiet and I don't know, do whatever you're supposed to do. I will be back in five minutes. It was not the teacher who would just go leave for a smoke break and we'd hear her heels coming, (laughs) clicking on the way back. She was awful. It was not her. It was a different teacher who probably just had to go to the bathroom because teachers, poor teachers, don't get to go to the bathroom much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when she came back, there was mass chaos. Someone had started throwing stuff. Everyone was screaming. I was sitting at my desk with my hands folded, just waiting for the teacher to arrive and just looking at her. And she, at the end of the day, she said, Anne may line up. Everyone else has to stay for 10 extra minutes. And I was the only person who got to leave on time that day. Were you very proud of yourself? I don't, I was a little bit embarrassed, but also like the only thing I knew how to do, especially in this situation where my world kind of no longer made sense, uh-huh. like after losing a parent and all yeah. those things was to follow the rules and be very good. Mm. I had been told if I did those things in Catholics at home, but, and also in Catholic school and with, you know, my grandma was, she watched me a lot and she was great, but like, she was this very Catholic school type Mm -hmm. lady too, of like, just do follow the rules and you'll do good and check all the boxes. And we're going to tell you what to do and you just do it. And I just clung so fiercely to that idea Mm -hmm. But I also was like, I also was a critical thinker. I mean, I remember never thinking like at some point, probably I learned that the church said gay marriage was wrong and I never for a second believed that. So there was some part of my brain that was like a functional, right? (laughs) a functional kind of like critical thinking part of my brain. But it was stressful, certainly stressful for me if when those, it still is, when those two things come in conflict, when standing up for what I believe in means not following the rules, that's still hard for me Mm -hmm. because I am such a rule follower and I just... uh, I mean, it had done me pretty well. Right. <laughs> For the right. most part, grown ups said I was really good when I followed the rules. All my teachers liked when I followed the rules and stood in line and wore my uniform correctly. <laughs> I think this is not the end of this conversation about Catholic school versus CCD I by mean, any stretch of the imagination. No. Versus. I really like that we've turned this into a... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. Rivalry. I didn't think it was going to be, but this whole like CCD kids are stealing your stuff. I mean, maybe I did. I probably took some erasers. I didn't think there were children that sat at those desks normally. Well, that's the thing. Also, right? They probably were not telling you, you can't take that stuff that belongs to somebody in the same way. And so then they're essentially setting us up for, oh yeah, those kids take your stuff, but no one's going to tell you that those erasers are not just like extra erasers in the building that you can use and forget. Right. Those pencils and the desks are there for you to use, I would have assumed, because I didn't bring a 
penciled at church probably is this what happens when you become an adult you just become very irritated at all the sort of like faceless in your memory adults in your life you're like why didn't they just communicate more effectively that's the whole cycle and then you gotta wait for all the people that we're talking to now that's like why didn't you tell us i'm like i'm sorry i tried a thing that i i have to dig it up so i don't Honestly, I don't have a ton of memories of like religion class kind of stuff, but I found something. I think I can share it on our social and I will share it with you. Mm. I found a game, a board game that must have been an assignment to create a, a Catholic board game, <gasps> your own Catholic board game. Ooh. I think it was in sixth grade. I had a decent theology teacher or sorry, religion. It was religion until we got to high school. Then it was called theology. Don't know why. I had a decent religion teacher that year, I think. And it was the game I actually have it where like if you commit a sin you have to go back several spaces Mm -hmm. and I remember it had to do with the commandments I think and I didn't know how to put killing in there because I thought like well killing someone's really bad and so I did it like you accidentally killed a possum (laughs) which isn't a sin at all but at my head I was like it's a little bit of a sin right and so you had to go back (laughs) couldn't even get that dark in your board it was like weirdly Buddhist of me to be like concerned about a possum's life I don't think that's what we were taught but I did call it if you really screwed up, there is something on the board game that's called the sin bin. You end up in the sin bin. See, I'll, again, if I had made this game, there, hell would have been in there for sure. And you would have ended up in hell. I was obsessed, I guess, as a child. I don't feel like hell was talked about. I feel like your CCD <laughs> teachers talked much more about hell than my have. religion teachers. Or I just clung to it for some reason. It scared the out of me that's terrifying I mean yeah I it makes sense though because I want to talk about this more at some point but this whole idea that good people are rewarded and bad people are punished and if good things happen Mm -hmm. to you you must be a good person if bad things happen to you must be a bad person Mm -hmm. um which feels sort of ingrained in Christianity, not just Catholicism. It makes sense to me that you're like, I know when something's wrong, but mostly if I'm good, especially maybe if you were in a household where it didn't feel good at home, you're like, if I can make this good by being good, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And your sin bin, it's it's cute. Well, and kids have so little control of things in the world anyway, just like in reality. And then if you're at a And I don't know, again, I haven't been in a Catholic school in a very long time, and I'm sure they vary, and I'm sure it's... Oh, yes. I mean, education in general is different than what it was, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we were kids. So certainly those things have evolved at Catholic schools too, I'm sure. But in the Catholic schools where I grew up, you're in it. You don't see like the degree to which this like structure and order and everything must be done in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And we're going to randomly infuse things with Catholicism. We're going to pray before everything. I mean, something delightful though, those elderly nuns at my high school, whenever we did a play whenever I was in the school plays like the musicals Mm -hmm. our first audience would be all the retired nuns (gasps) for our final dress and they would all come and be in the audience and at the end they would say that was just like Broadway (laughs) and it was (laughs) it was totally adorable and they got to see a play and we got to have an audience and it was just the best I think those things were I mean you don't get that at a public school you don't get these old ladies cheering that Macaulay girls are the best girls as you as you go through the the hallways so you know I like intergenerational learning like that that's sweet it was totally like accidental intergenerate right it wasn't planned it was like there might be nuns around but it happens (laughs) wheeling around I remember once getting to school 
and seeing this lone nun in the hallway and she was about to open a door that a locked door to like the elderly nun area and she dropped her keys and she was very old and I watched her look down at the keys and like calculating in her head how long it was going to take her <laughs> and I said do you want me to pick those up and she was saw me and said yes please and I picked them up for her and I just thought that was such a tiny thing and I never talked to the nuns to be honest with you I rarely talked to them but I was like I think I just saved that lady's day she nice really, yeah act of service our elderly sisters of mercy they were they were sweet oh all right well that feels like a somewhat positive note to end on there we go we always try for that. We try. There's so much going on, but there's a lot of good, silly stories. Mm -hmm. All right. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, everyone. Please reach out, lapspodcast at gmail.com, lapspodcast.com, all the social medias. Please reach out. We want to hear from you. Tell us what Catholic school was like for you or CCD. Oh, please. Yeah. Voice memos about CCD or Catholic school. Please, 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 please. A story or two. If you have a specific memory of Catholic school or CCD that really summarizes what that time was like for you, we would like to hear it. And those voicemails should be sent to? Labspodcast at gmail.com. Make a voice memo on your phone. Email it to us. We want to hear it. I want to hear everything. I love Catholic school stories. The Me too. not traumatic ones. <laughs> the non traumatic. You can send. We want to hear the other ones too, but we do. We're here for all of it. Mm -hmm, but the mm -hmm. fun ones are fun, and the traumatic ones are less fun. And speaking <laughs> of what would Jesus do? There's a lot of stuff happening mm. in terms of the refugee status of a lot of people. Yes. I've been trying to research Afghan-led organizations, but I've had yeah. a hard time getting any of those. But one I have uh, looked at is Women for Afghan Women. I think I saw that one floating around. But I don't know right. if that's the best one yet, but I think that's a pretty well-vetted one. The, the stuff happening there is heartbreaking and terrifying, also mostly taken out of context in terms of Christians and Catholics in the U.S. not looking at like uh, the way the Taliban is not Islam and the way that, uh, I mean, you think about the things Christians have done. <laughs> I think we need to reckon with all the ugly stuff that is and has been done in the name of various religions mm -hmm. uh, that is not true to the essence of the religion in any of the cases. There's a good West Wing moment about that. <laughs> Maybe we... If you can find a clip of the West Wing moment. Oh, I will. I will. I will. It in the show notes. I know Great. exactly where it is. Well, Steph, is that it? We're good? Oh, man. For yes. Now. We're good for now. All right. Uh, <laughs> Steph, and also with you. Also with you, Anne.